welcome to the Building Design Primetime Podcast. Focused on providing valuable information for anyone looking to undertake a new build or extension project. We'll share our tips, tricks and stories from a building designer's perspective. Welcome to the Building Design Primetime Podcast. I'm your host, Amelia, and once again, we're welcomed by Frank Geskus, who's looking very tanned. <laughs> hey, Amelia. <laughs> <laughs> You've been on holiday, so I had to say something. I've, I've had a little bit of a mid-year break, yes. You have, yes. Yes, and come back a little bit tanned, making everyone jealous. <laughs> <laughs> you definitely have, all of us. White, uh, pale, <laughs> untanned skin around the office. Winter is coming. Oh, no, you've had it. It's come oh, through. No. No, it's still going. It's still I think. going. <laughs> We've got another uh, topic to talk about today and we're having a little bit of a chat just before we start a recording and we thought we'd talk about the different kinds of reports that may be required. And there's actually quite a lot when you write a list down, there's actually quite a lot that that could be required, isn't that right? Oh, it's using the word horrifying is probably not quite right, but it can actually shock a lot of people with the amount of reports you, you may need, depending what you're doing, whether it's a new home, is it a rural home, is it a extension, are you near the coast, are you in a city? I mean, it, it just depends on a whole ton of stuff. And it can be very daunting, and oh, we've had clients, oh, why do I need this? And we have to show them. It may be required for planning, it may be required for building approval, it may be required for environmental health approval, it could be all sorts of stuff. But it gets pretty outrageous sometimes with the amount of reports you have to do for, for maybe just for an extension. So what are some of the common ones that sure. you hear about sort of fairly yeah, sure. regularly? So you've got your normal ones where we do a soil report or geotechnical report, see if the soil is suitable to build on. Or um, if you do an extension, similar, to see if the soil's okay, then the engineer can design the footings and the rest of the structure of the building. That also gives us our wind classification to see how hard the wind's going to, predicted is going to blow. So then you can design the house to suit wind terrain categories, you know. And funnily enough, um, you don't want your house to wobble and crackle your plaster. Oh, uh, definitely not. No, but it does happen. When people put too much glass in their house, it's very hard to hold the whole thing together, as I call it, flapping in the breeze. You just need the house to be pretty rigid. Also, you may need to have a landslip assessment, which is a big thing in Tassie, uh, depending on where you're situated. So that goes hand in hand with your soil report. They can get quite expensive, and it's something that's been coming up because there has been problems with landslip sites, whether it's a low risk, high risk. And then our favourite, my personal favourite, is the bushfire attack level assessment. And why is that your favourite? Oh, I don't see the point in certain situations. I find it wasteful. And in a lot of cases, it's very well justified, you know. And But my, my biggest hang-up over it, it's a, an assessment done on when the assessor goes to site and says, well, you need to do this to your proposed property to make a bushfire safe. Well, that's great. It comes down to use the owner to maintain it. So the report is, okay, at the time of building and design and assessment, but when you own the property, grass grows, trees grow, shrubs grow, you need to maintain it, and it doesn't control that. So it only does part of the solution for bushfire. And I guess people too, when they do those assessments, you know, if it's, for example, for a new house, 
there may not be landscaping and stuff done then. So oh, 100%. So that, th- but that could be a brand new. The, the, the thing where I really struggle with is you've got a brand new subdivision, done an assessment on it already as part of the subdivision. Then, and it's not as bad now as it used to be, they used to make us get a brand new assessment done when we did our house. And it could be different to the one that was done for the subdivision. There's a different rating. Oh, that's a bit confusing. Well, no, for that, you're paying twice. Oh, so you still have to pay for the original one and... Well, no, it comes part of the subdivision. Yeah, okay. But we weren't allowed to use it. Oh, that has changed. We are now allowed to use it, but we do get an upgrade. So that's improved slightly. But where it gets really dumb, we've got a brand new subdivision, and you can already see them starting building on a new stage of a subdivision, which will then change your bushfire attack level ratings. So you might be on the end of the subdivision, you've got the new subdivision being extended, pushed through, and they've already started, and it's gravel and stuff everywhere. The bushfire assessment doesn't change until all the houses are built. Then the risk gets reduced because there's not grass and vegetation. But you know what's happening. Mm-hmm. It's got approval. They're building it. Yes. So you might have a higher level that may add twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 to your house, where in literally 12 months' time it will not be at that rating. Oh, that's frustrating, isn't it? Oh, yeah, and a whole bunch of us have written to the government and powers of B and said this is wrong. You can clearly see it's going to change. No, rules the rules, this is the way it is. We're not even considering changing it. And now it has changed. So they've changed overlays where you don't need bushfire assessments on what they call general residential areas if there's no proven risk. Mm-hmm. So that one's a very frustrating one. Yeah. Because yeah, that can add a reasonable cost to your house. So that's why I don't like wasting people's money, you know, and for reports that I feel won't be, you know, it doesn't give you a true assessment for the life of the building. Sure. And it's, and they could even be done, this is before they changed the rules, they could have been done within a short space of time, I'd imagine, yep. as well, which yep. wouldn't really make all that much difference, you wouldn't imagine. wouldn't think so, but, yeah, once everything gets developed, the risk is lower generally. Because people maintain, they look after it, and, and there's no risk. Well, sorry, the risk is minimised. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, anyway, that's just one thing. So those are your big ones. Soil, potential landslip, bushfire, and your uh, wind classification. But then you've got your thermal assessments, your yes. energy assessment. energy. And that goes to every new house, and that's fine. So they're your basics. Do you want me to tell you all the other ones that we oh, may, look, that we have done? Let's overwhelm people. Let's reel them off. And these vary from different sites all over the state. So you might be in a biodiversity overlay. <laughs> this is under the planning schemes, which could be to do with the vegetation, which you may not be able to clear. And then you've got to get a biodiversity report to say whether it's suitable or not. Uh, if you're in rural, and I might have mentioned this purely on one of our earlier podcasts about prime agricultural land so you're going to rural site are they going to let you build a house on good agricultural land and that is a prime agricultural report to justify putting a house on there or you're not allowed because the, the, the land is of great quality and you shouldn't put a house on there because the government wishes to preserve as much good quality agricultural land that can produce you know could be grain stock whatever it can put a lot of stuff on there. Well, I guess it keeps industry alive as well. It's a big industry here in Tassie. Oh, it's huge. Huge, because yeah. remember, it's not just the house, it's the driveway, it's the shed, it's the wastewater system, because you could be, you know, on 800-plus square metres of area, or maybe more, just to fit all those things on a piece of land. Oh, you know, yeah. You know? So the, the prime ag reports are a big one. The 
biodiversity, uh, traffic impact assessments. So this is <laughs> uh, this one is starting to become a lot more where, especially with uh, multiple houses, but also if you're on a, a highway, mm-hmm. got to get a traffic impact assessment to see if it's safe to enter and exit on a highway. We've got to go through state growth that approves that. Yeah, right. Yeah, we just had one recently on that as well. Uh, flood inundation. So this is varying from all over the state because Tasmania is quite a hilly place, lots of valleys and all that, and we love building inside valleys. Look at Launceston in the Tamer Valley, Hobart, Derwent Valley. Mm-hmm. And each side we've got like, goat tracks trying to get to houses and stuff, but water collects and forms flood areas. So once we see an overlay, we've got to get a, a report, engineering report, to say it's going to affect the house or not. Then you may have to adjust the design to suit coastal inundation or coastal erosion. I think that spells it out. So when you're mm-hmm. on the coast, could be near a beach or similar, you have to have these reports done to say is it going to erode? Is a you know inundation? Does a flood? King tides? Is um, sea level rise, all these types of things are considered within those things as well. And there's a lot of those around Tasmania as well because one big island, there's lots of people who love to build a shack or a new retirement home or just move to beaches and really nice areas we've got around Tassie. We've got a lot of those places. Oh, definitely. Wastewater reports, we spoke about that previously for, you know, where all your sewage goes and you don't have a sewage connection, you've got to deal with your waste on site. Rural sites is where you have those. So that's another whole report by itself. The planning report, and this is pretty common where you've got to go for a planning approval and then you've got to write a report to justify your design against the scheme. And they can vary in size depending on the complexity of your project. Structural inadequacy report. So you're doing extensions. Um, Sometimes, depending on the the construction of the original house, you're going, how's that going to go? Can we do this? Can we do that? No, we've got to get an engineer. Is this suitable to do this into a structural adequacy report? Dilapidation report. So <laughs> this one is when you're doing works close to the boundary and potentially you may affect the neighbouring property or doing any works will affect a neighbouring property. And this is something to reduce everyone's risk, the neighbours, you and whatnot. And you get an independent person in, goes in the house next door, does a full assessment of the house. This is the existing conditions. This was already cracked. This was already like this. And they take a heap of photos and report on it. So when... You start on your project, a neighbour can't come along and accuse, oh, cracks have developed my house, that's your fault. You did that from your property. Oh, no, I have this report that tells me, no, they were already there. Mm-hmm. Vice versa, there are new cracks, <laughs> you know, developed because you've been blasting, you know, it could be from blasting, it could be from a whole bunch of things or you have a lot of water from the site, whatever, I don't care, it could be anything, that the neighbouring property has deteriorated due to the works that you've carried out protects everyone oh this is one that's starting to pop up a lot more is stormwater calculations report where you're doing extensions you're covering more of the site uh, of hard stand you're collecting the stormwater then you need a report to calculate how much stormwater and is the existing connection suitable yeah right well this one we found more in the southern part of tasmania they're asking a lot more of this priority habitat we call this the cute furry animal report so Again, to preserve an area for the local wildlife. Wildlife, yep. So, you know, I've heard this book. People go in and clear a block. Oh, I bought this block, yay, in the rural area and tear it all to pieces and they find out they've just breached a planning. Oops. And the cute little furry animals have got nowhere to go. Yep. 
Especially if they're endangered species or oh, something like so. that. It could mm. be a swift parrot. Um, that frog. What's oh, the green and gold frog. Yes, that something that's endangered. She pops up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but there's legitimate animals around Tasmania that are endangered and these things have to be considered and it has been mapped out. Well, I've seen people buy certain blocks of land and they think they can do anything they like because it's their land. Well, you can't. Simple as that. You could have a, a flora and fauna species that is very rare. You could have, you know, birds, you know, certain type of animal on there, frogs, whatever. There, there's a reason that they do this in Tasmania. We've got a beautiful state, lots of natural outlook. People love coming here for that, but we've also got to protect parts of it too. So if you're buying a piece of land and you want to go do something, what do we normally say? Do your research. Bingo. I know. And you, and you can work all this stuff out by a professional checking this out. But wait, there's more. Um, there's still more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we have the priority habitat, and I said flora and fauna, you know. Then you've got the contaminated site report. Wow. Yeah, so council, we're in here, Launceston, they're very on top of this. So a lot of residential areas have been, could have been previous um, work sites, sawmill sites, it could have been an orchard, it could have been winery, it could have been all sorts of stuff that's been converted to residential. Um or someone ran a trucking business out the back of their house. And yeah, and I actually had one like that. And they used to have a fuel tank, it was registered. And they've got a record to say, well, there's a fuel tank in there. There was. Mm-hmm. Is the site contaminated? And you go, I don't know. Uh, get it, find out. So someone has to find out. They're saying, prove to us that it's not contaminated. So someone, you get an expert in, does that, they do some tests. And if it comes up, there might be further testing but most of the time it's pretty most of the ones i've seen it's clean old orchards could be down to chemicals mm-hmm. sawmills sawdust i can't believe that's actually contaminated but that's what it is i came across one actually for a block of land i was looking at and it was an old flax factory and when really? i ra- yeah so i rang the council and they said yeah it's actually it used to be an old flax factory and therefore you would need a contamination report. Yep. So you've got to get an expert in to have a look at that. And you don't know. It's a bit of a lottery. Yeah, exactly. And it, it could be not that bad or it could be horrendous. You just exactly. don't know. It could be an old service station, you know, and old service stations had steel tanks. And we've actually found somewhere we found a steel tank that was never registered and you could smell the fuel. Oh, no. Yep, so call in the right people, do this, clean the site, decontaminate the site. And it wasn't as bad as we thought. So th- there's a lot of things you don't expect so what else we got yeah that, that's pretty well it for residential and there's probably other ones that pop up every now and then too in Launceston again we have an area called Invermayan Varesk and that's an um, area that is for flood risk mm-hmm. and it's, it's known for that 928 massive floods and they've got levees around it but you've still got to design and in certain areas they will not let you extend your house greater than 10%. Yeah, there's a lot of movement in, yeah. in Invermay. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. It's huge. It's like, yeah, it is what it is. So we have to work with that. So when you're buying stuff, you need to look at this because you don't know what you're buying. What do you mean I can't do an extension? And I've had that before. It's that you can't do it. Or you go up. Oh, yeah, that's true. So you go above the flood line. Mm-hmm. So there's other means and ways of doing it. So there's lots of reports to consider and this may add a considerable amount of cost to your whole design package. So the drawings are one thing but then you've got all these reports that go with it and then the designs are generally altered 
if there's something within the reports that we have to deal with. So lots of research has to be done beforehand. So that's where you need you know, ourselves, building surveyors. Council can't give you all this information. They can be part of it, but a lot of it's on uh, websites. Well, most councils put it on on websites, uh, one common Tasmanian site, except for one council that I know of. I'm sorry to say it, Hobart City Council, they do not put their stuff online, not all of it, and it's been very disappointing. They keep some of the information to themselves and you won't know unless you actually put an application in. So very, very frustrating with that council not doing the same as all the other councils, considering it's the capital. It's tricky because as designers and as people looking to extend, build a new house, they need to get all of the information. Pretty much so. Mm. So why not have it at one central spot where the state government has had a couple of really good setups online to assist everyone? The information's there. But one council chooses not to join the party with everyone else is very disappointing. One of the websites that I love using, and I've we've brought it up before, but yeah. Plan Build is actually fantastic. You can plug in an address yep. and it will spit out anything that could potentially need a report. Yep. And it just gives you a little bit of an overview as to, you know, some red flags that might come up. Yep. And then you've got the list, which that is based off. Yes. It grabs all the different layers off there. So the list is even bigger again, which is a wonderful resource the state government's put together as well. So the, these are really good resources. From everything, you can purchase titles off there and you can find a lot of this stuff. It's a lot of navigation and the wording. You've got to understand the wording. Yeah, the I the find the list a little bit overwhelming, if, yeah. especially if you don't know how to navigate it. But it is awesome. But it does, yeah, it does give you... Very, very detailed information. Mm, but you've got to understand the wording. Exactly. It, it, like this whole business, what we do in it's got its own lingo and language. And there's so many industries out there who've got their own languages and lingo and descriptions and it differs. So it's hard to, to explain certain people because the wording that we use is very unique for, for this part of the industry. I guess what's important though is thinking about engaging, you know, professionals really early on in the process because that can help avoid any potential problems down the track. Yep. So you can engage building designers like we are. You can engage architects, similar to what, you know, they do wonderful work as well. You've got building surveyors, but that's not their expertise to get into a lot of this stuff. You've got consulting planners that will get you a fair chunk of this information as well. Council can help, but they're not designed to find this information. That's not their job. Their job is to check what a building surveyor does to make sure that it's an accountability type thing. So really, I would recommend building designers, architects, potentially planners and building surveyors if the building surveyor has that facility to do that for you. And then you're a lot wiser. Exactly. You can make informed decisions. Yes, very much so. And then this will also affect your budget on, on your project. And I think that's the most important part is, you know, if you're going to a building designer or an architect or anyone like that, that if you see some of these costs on there, there's usually a reason yep. that they are put on there. Or they don't put it on their exactly. initial quote and they just say, hey, any reports are going to be extra. We try and research, so you're going to need this report. We'll give you a rough indication what it might be. Mm-hmm. So you know where you're heading. Too many times I feel people put their fees together to say, oh, it's going to cost you this much to draw the house. Okay, or extension or whatever it may be. Then you find out, okay, oh, I need this report, and need this report, this report, and now I'm $15,000 less on top of what I'm already spending. Mm-hmm. But you weren't aware of that, you know. I am a big believer of 
designed to give you as much information possible. I'm not saying going to be 100% correct. You're going to be 95% correct mm-hmm. to everything that you're going to need. Because also planning schemes change, policies within government and councils change, systems change in there as well, and we've been caught on that. But at least we get most of it covered by a quote that we put together and we highlight these items. Mm-hmm. Again, everyone needs to understand for their project what they need to do and reduce the amount of surprises. You know, it's no different when you get a quote from a builder. You want it to cover everything plus a 10% contingency. Oh, definitely. You know, but too many people do PC sums, which is, you know, provisional sum, allowing, oh, I've allowed 10 grand for your kitchen, but you wanted a $50,000 kitchen. It doesn't work. No. You need accuracy as much as possible for your project. And this is just as poor doing this part of getting all your reports, how much the design's going to cost, how much the survey's going to cost, the engineering, then that directly relates to how the cost of the building of your house. Accuracy at the start, accuracy during the quoting process and everything itemised on your quote from a builder. Then you've got less stress. Well, I see it as just being able to look at the full picture because if, if those items are left off... Then or, you actually have no no idea. Or underestimated. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And, and that's why I believe you need to have a very detailed, broken down quote from a builder. Not a one pager. I'm talking 20 pages. A good builder will do that. Yeah. List exactly what's included. Exactly. Yeah. Because if you wanted stone tops for your bench and they've allowed laminex, well, that's not going to quite cut it, is it? No. So... All those things you need to consider, but as you can see, it's just one part of the process of doing your project for your house. New house, extension, investment properties, your rural dream house with all your horses running around. (laughs) Yep, one day. (laughs) Yes, one day. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So what are the take-home points for anyone that is unsure about putting together or or understanding what reports they might require for their new home or their extension? Talk to a professional. Talk to a professional, yep. And engage them to find all this out for you and they'll be able to put a quote together for you as well for your building. You know, it's as simple as that. Don't just ask for a price to do a set of house plans or, you know, that's great. Someone still has to chase all this up. Someone has to engage and get quotes for you and get all this done and that information is put onto your drawings and referred to these reports. So don't treat them as separate. Treat them as one big package. So the designer or the architect who's doing your documentation should be able to organise all this for you. If you want to organise it yourself, fine, but it makes it for the harder for the building surveyor to assess it and there could be things that could be missed. And... I guess too, just to be clear for everyone looking to undertake any projects like this, you may not have to do a number of these reports. Oh, like very you, much so. you, you may like you may only require like your your energy, your bushfire and the standard ones. The additional ones, your site might be, you know, Beautiful fairly site. standard and it might wonderful. be fine. But it's just I guess making people aware that there are other reports that may be required. Oh yeah, totally. And you won't know until you get a professional to look at it. Exactly. You might be able to find yourself with those couple of websites we mentioned. You know, iPlan. No, iPlan. That was the old one. (laughs) Plan build. (laughs) Plan build. Plan build and the list. By all means, have a look on there. But you've got to understand the lingo and what you're looking for. 100%. We might wrap it up there, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in after your big holiday. Well, you're rubbing that in. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, well, someone has to. Yeah, true. <laughs> All right, thanks for listening to the Building Design Primetime Podcast. We'll Catch- see you next time. Catch us later. Listening to the Building Design Prime Time Podcast. 